Hello and welcome to The Quiz Kids from otrgold.com. This episode will begin after a brief message from our sponsors. Here they are, The Quiz Kids. And sitting at teacher's desk, all set to start firing questions, is the chief quizzer himself, Oliver Capel. Hello, everyone, and quiz kids, here's the first question we're shooting your way today. What type of hairdo would be most appropriate for a lady to wear on the 4th of July? Ah, while you think that over, we'd like to remind you that this 4th of July is the 175th anniversary of the signing of the Declaration of Independence, and it begins a year of rededication to the principles of freedom. So on this program, we're going to think about the many wonderful things that make up our American heritage. We have a surprise guest in store for you later, too. So let's get right down to roll call. Pat? I am Patrick Owen Conlon. I'm 14 years old and a sophomore at Calumet High School in Chicago. Lonnie? I'm Lonnie Lundy. I'm 15 years old and I'm a junior at Maine Township High School in Park Ridge, Illinois. Joel? I'm Joel Coverman. I'm 15 years old, and I'm a senior at Roosevelt High School in Chicago. Sally Ann? I'm Sally Ann Wilhelm. I'm 12 years old. I'll be in eighth grade in Central Junior High School in Elkhart, Indiana. Sally Ann, aren't you attending school in Chicago this summer? Well, yes, I am. I've been here for two weeks. I'm going to be here uh, for four more weeks for a dancing course. Oh, dancing school. Mm-hmm. Well, that ought to keep you on your toes. <laughs> and next, Frankie. I'm Frankie Vanderplug, and I'm six years, seven years old, and I'm, and right after Labor Day, I'll be in 1A, 2B at the Mount Vernon School in Chicago. Well, it's hard to keep track of all those grades. That's all right. (laughs) And uh, by the way, quiz kids, I have a message for you from your regular chief quizzer, Joe Kelly. Mr. Kelly is feeling pretty good now, but his doctor thinks he should take things easy for a little while longer. Nevertheless, Mr. Kelly wants me to tell you that he'll be back at teacher's desk in about a month, and I know he's anxious to see you all again. Now let's see who has the answer to that first question. What type of hairdo would be most appropriate for a lady to wear on the 4th of July? Sally Ann? Well, she would probably wear bangs. Yes, bangs. (laughs) And... That's what I call starting off with a bang, which leads to the mention of famous battles. One thing typical of Americans is the way we give nicknames to most people we know. Can you name the battle in which each of these generals first earned his nickname? Thomas Jackson. Lonnie? Well, the nickname he got was Stonewall, but I'm not sure of the battle. You don't know the battle. Joel? Well, it was the first battle of Bull Run in 1861. Right, the first battle of Bull Run. That's it. Well, uh, another one. George Henry Thomas. Sally Ann? Well, uh, he was called the Rock of Chickamauga. That's right. Because uh, when the other Union forces were retreating, he and his forces uh, wouldn't retreat, and it was fought on the Chickamauga Creek in, uh, in yeah. Tennessee. Well, that's right. Fine. The Rock of Chickamauga. Ah! Well, now we'll go to more peaceful subjects. America is so beautiful 
that even our composers have painted pictures of her, her history, and her people in their music. We will now try to recapture the scenes drawn by three American composers and see if you get the picture. Lonnie was on that one in about three bars. What is it, Lonnie? Well, that is the Sonata Number no. 2 by Charles Ives. And what picture and did you get? And the subtitle of it is Concord, Massachusetts, 1840 to 1860. And that, that sonata is supposed to, well, it gives impressionistic pictures of four different authors, uh, Emerson, Hawthorne, the Alcotts, and Thoreau in each of the four movements. Wonderful. That's the whole story. That's great. <laughs> And here is the second musical painting. See if you know the author and what he intended the scene to be. All right, I think we have it. Lonnie? Well, that's called The Quiet City. I believe it's by Aaron Copeland. Yeah. And that uh, is... Uh, Descriptive of New York late at night, or early in the morning, rather, uh, viewing the deserted streets of it. That's it, exactly. That's it. <laughs> now, this last picture takes in so much that we want you to pick out only the author's home. See if you can, and tell me where it is. <laughs> okay, Lonnie? Well, the name of the piece is Polonaise American, and the composer is John Alden Carpenter, who is from my hometown, Park Ridge, Illinois. Oh, there, uh, the Carpenter home is the city hall of Park Ridge. That's good. Fine. That's all three parts. <laughs> now we'll see. We'll see what you know about astronomy. To be really patriotic, what particular stars should come out the night of the Fourth of July? What particular stars should come out? Lonnie? Well, uh, this is rather far-fetched, but uh, when you think of uh, July, 4th of July, you usually think of a lot of noise, and Mars, the god of war, would naturally come to mind. Well, that's a good answer. That wasn't what we were thinking about. Pat? Well, uh, you could think of Orion the Hunter. Uh, America's hunting down their enemies, so to speak, in Korea there. Could be. Uh-huh. I wonder if anybody can tell me anything about red, white, and blue stars. Oh, Frankie? Well, um, you want me to name some red or white or blue stars? Yeah, sure. Go well, ahead. Well, um, there's Vega, and that's a blue star. Yeah. And there's Altair, and that's white. Yeah. And there's Antares, which is the heart of Scorpio, the scorpion. <laughs> and that's red. And um, then there's Wolf 457, and that's a dwarf star that's white, like most dwarf stars. And then there's Wolf 359, which is a dwarf star. And then there's Sirius is blue, and um, that's um, Enrigo is blue in Orion. Amigo. Oh, and Orion, too. Well, what do you think of that? You know, that's wonderful. <laughs> 
You know, when I was his age, Twinkle Twinkle Little Star was my limit. <laughs> well, let's pretend that comic strip characters want to celebrate the 4th of July with a little fireworks. What kind of fireworks would be most appropriate for B.O. Plenty's daughter? Sally Ann? Well, uh, that would be sparklers, because uh, Sparkle Plenty is his little daughter. That's right. Good. Now, <laughs> what about... What about Buck Rogers? Buck, uh, Pat? Well, how about Rockets? He's always traveling Rockets? rockets. He's always traveling in one. That's right. And could you suggest one for Brenda Starr? Brenda Starr? She's a girl reporter or something, isn't she? Joel? Well, uh, Sparklers, that gives up an effect similar to a star. Yes, yes, Pat? Oh, I have seen fireworks that resemble stars for the stars and the flag, I think. They've had those. Yes, Lonnie? Well, Brenda Starr is a Cracker Jack reporter. He might have a cracker. Yeah, all right. Fine. <laughs> oh. All together, 55 men signed the Declaration of Independence. Now, each of the sounds you're going to hear should suggest the name of one of the signers. See if you can identify two out of three. Here's the first sound. Okay, Sally Ann had her hand up. Well, uh, that sounds like a drum, or uh, they call it an Indian tom-tom. Yeah? And that would probably be uh, Thomas Jefferson signed, oh. uh, and I think uh, Tom Thomas Stone signed, yes. was one of the signers of it. Good, all right, fine, now. <laughs> uh, which, which of the signers is suggested by this sound? <laughs> like uh, Big Ben in the Westminster Abbey in London. Yeah. And that would be uh, Ben Franklin, or it could be uh, Benjamin Harrison. All right. On signers. That's all right. Uh, that, that's good. Fine. Does anybody know another Ben? Lonnie? Well, wasn't there a signer named Ben from, was uh, it Georgia or South Carolina? What'd you say his name? Wasn't there a signer named Ben, his last name? Last name Ben? <laughs> Oh, I don't know about him. <laughs> They'll have to look that up for me. Frankie? Well, I'm not so sure, but could one of them be Benjamin Franklin? Well, I, I think Sally Ann mentioned Benjamin Franklin. There was a third Benjamin. Uh, uh, you think you know him, Lonnie? Well, did somebody name Benjamin Harrison? Yes, yeah, somebody named him. The third one was Benjamin Rush. All right, let's have the, let's have the third sound, please. Well, that faintly suggests sewing or something like that. That's a hard something sound. Something like that. Maybe if it was sewing, it'd be Button Gwinnett. <laughs> Could be. Uh, uh, it isn't supposed to be sewing, Lonnie. Well, it sounds somewhat like somebody writing. Yeah. Does that suggest a man's name to you? Well, anybody from Pennsylvania. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, Pat, can well, you come... Come and think of it. I think there was a signer named Wright. Named Wright? Right. <laughs> We're getting involved as 55. I don't remember them all, but that wasn't really the thing we wanted you to say. Uh, it was writing, all right, uh, but... Uh, but uh, oh, well, John Penn was what we wanted to say. He came from North Carolina. 
Anyway, you got two out of three, and that's the main thing. The 4th of July is the time for parades. Now, if you were to pick one particular musical chord to lead off the parade, what one would be most appropriate as a leader? A musical chord. Lonnie? Well, maybe a B-sharp chord. B-sharp chord? Instructing the parade to B-sharp. Well, that's all right. I, I was thinking of a person, Pat. Well, maybe it was a G chord. If they gasp and awe, they say G. <laughs> Lonnie? Well, along the same line, it could be a C chord calling everybody to <laughs> see the parade. Joe? Well, since it's uh, spring, it could be a tonic. Uh, why didn't you... Oh. <laughs> a taunt. Oh, my, man. Oh, that's good. But why didn't you say A-sharp major? That's what I want. You know, the oh. drum major, the fellow that goes along. Oh, well, that's okay. You did well. Many of the comforts and conveniences in our homes are the result of the genius of inventors in this country. What item do we benefit from as the result of the following men's inventive work? John Wesley Hyatt. Huh? I think that would be uh, plastics. He invented that's... celluloid in about 1860, well, 1863, I think it was. That's very good. 65. <laughs> and what item do we benefit by from Lee DeForest? Joel? Well, he was one of the initial inventors of television. Of uh, television? The, tel the television tube, I think. Yes. Did he do anything before that? I think he, I imagine he worked in radio, too. Oh, yes, he did. He did. <laughs> yeah, all right. Well, that's fine. I think now is the time for some good old American expressions. Let's see how many of you can think of, uh, uh, how many you can think of that would mention articles found in a, in a hardware store. Think of some American slang expressions. Sally Ann? Well, he's got a loose screw, or yeah. he's a oh. hammerhead. Hammerhead. Oh, my. Uh, all right. Uh, he fell for her hook, line, and sinker. Yeah, well, that's good. That's good. Let somebody else have a chance here. Lonnie? Well, uh, that hit the nail right on the head. Good, good. Uh, any more hands? Pat? Well, you could say he's nuts or he's got a, he's a screwball. You could yeah, you could. Well, Sally Ann again. Uh, he's a pain in the neck. A pain. Uh, a pain in the neck. Yeah, yeah pain. That's right. That's All right. The Joel? Well, you could say hammer your point home. Hammer your point <laughs> home, Lonnie. Well, you talk of pinning somebody down. Yes. Yeah, Pat. <laughs> kind of corny, but I saw him yesterday. I saw him yesterday, didn't I? <laughs> Well, here's a really tough question. Let's see how quickly you get it. I'm going to give you a group of five milestones in American history that happened while one of our presidents was in office. Each clue should make the identity of the president easier. Let's see how many clues you'll need before you know who he is. If you don't get it the first time, I'll keep on going. The first clue is, just after he took office, the first Atlantic cable was laid. Pat? I think that was Buchanan. It is. Oh. <laughs> yeah, they gave me five clues, and he gets it on the very first one. If we have to go home early, you'll understand why. <laughs> For this next question, we'll need the help of our special guest today. She was one of the original quiz kids when the program first went on the air 11 years ago. And since that time, 
She has gone on to a most successful musical career in the American tradition of opportunity for all. She sang with the Chicago Opera Company and the San Carlo Opera Company in New York. She has just returned to Chicago for a visit from New York where she is carrying on her musical career. It's our pleasure to welcome back to the Quiz Kids classroom, Miss Joan Bishop. It's, it's good to see you again, Joan. Thank you, Mr. Capel. It's nice to be back. Now, Joan is going to sing arias from two operas. You children are to name the city the character is living in when she sings this aria. All right, Joan, the first one, please. Detected, I don't, this is kind of a far-fetched guess, but I detected something about Lindoro in there, and I, that suggests to me the Barber of Seville or the Marriage of Figaro. So it'll be in Seville, I suppose. Maybe right. I you are. <laughs> That's fine. And now for the second one. Tales of Hoffman, and that takes place in Venice on the Grand Canal. Right, it does. Venice, uh, Italy. Oh! <laughs> well, Joan, Joan, we've heard just a bit of each of those arias, and we'd all like to hear you sing more. Do you have a favorite aria you might sing for us? Uh, yes, there's one aria in Cavalleria Rusticana I especially like. It's called Volo Sapete. Fine. Suppose you sing some of it for us. Eterna 
That was a real treat. Thank you, Joan Bishop. Now, Joan, I recall times when you made it pretty tough on the quiz master when you were a quiz kid. So this seems like a good opportunity to turn the tables. How would you like to come right up here and be quizzer? Oh, I'd love it. <laughs> All right, you just take over with the next question. All right, fine. Let's turn to the sports world, where baseball has become part of the American tradition. Can you identify the team that broke each of these victory strings? And let's get two out of three of these. The New York Yankees won the American League pennant every year from 1936 through 1943, except for one year. What was the team that broke their string, and what year was it? I believe Lonnie had his hand up first. Well, that was in 1940 when the Detroit Tigers under Del Baker won the pennant. Perfect. (laughs) The St. Louis Cardinals won the National League pennant every year from 1942 through 1946, (laughs) except for one year. What was the year and what was the team? And Lonnie again, I believe, was first. Well, that was 1945, the Chicago Cubs under Charlie Grimm. Mm, How could we forget that? Very good. (laughs) Now, this last part is still more difficult. (laughs) Ty Cobb won the American League Batting Championship. Oh, dear. (laughs) Every year from 1906 through 1919, except for one year. Do you recall what year that was and the name of the player who won the title? Lonnie again, I think. Well, the player was Chris Speaker. I'm not too sure about the year. I think it was 1916. Perfect. You kids all know the biblical story of Noah's Ark and the dove. But when did an ark and a dove come to America? Sally Ann? Well, that was uh, when uh, the ark and the dove were two ships that brought the colonists to Maryland. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was under the uh, direction of George Calvert, whose other uh, title was Lord Baltimore. And he died before the charter could be fully adopted, though. Mm-hmm. Well, I think his name was Leonard Calvert, but we won't, mm-hmm. we won't worry about that now. <laughs> Do you recall the year that the ship came uh, over six- 1834. Very good. This math problem concerns one of the favorite legends in American history, George Washington chopping down the cherry tree. Assume that young George used a one-pound hatchet to chop down a three-inch tree. How heavy would the hatchet have to be to chop down a six-inch diameter cherry tree using the same number of strokes despite the fact that the proportionate increase in the speed of the stroke increases only as the fourth root of the proportionate increase in the weight of the hatchet. I was glad I didn't have to Yes, I'll, I'll take the knot out of my tongue now. <laughs> All right, Joel. Well, let's see. If the diameter were doubled, then the uh, cross-sectional area would be multiplied by four. So uh, the kinetic energy, I think, is uh, half mv squared. You can disregard the half, so therefore mv squared must be multiplied by 4. See, if you let the weight of the uh, new weight of the hatchet equal x, uh, then uh, the, that would be the proportionate increase, then the speed would be multiplied by the fourth root of x. So that squared would be the square root of x. So uh, x times the square root of x would equal uh, 4. So let's see, it's x to the 3 halves would equal 4. x cubed would equal 16. That's 25 cubed is 625. 15,625. See, I'll be between, let's see, 
uh, it'll be uh, 2.52. Oh, perfect. <laughs> That's marvelous. <laughs> Horace Greeley said, go west, young man, and you know that's exactly what we're going to do on this next question of how some of our natural wonders of the west were formed. That is, according to American folklore and legend. First, how did we get the Rocky Mountains? Sally Ann? Well, that was, uh, I think it was Paul Bunyan's doing. He was digging a big hole, uh, and he, was, he had to dig the hole to uh, mix the cement in. And uh, the dirt that he dug up, he threw over, and uh, that made the Rocky Mountains, and the hole later became Lake Michigan. Uh, that's right, and they... <laughs> <laughs> they say originally he dug the hole to bury his big ox babe. Poor old babe died, you know. <laughs> and we certainly owe Paula thank you for giving us Lake Michigan, though, don't we? But now can you tell me how we got Death Valley? Oh, now that was... Well, let's try Frankie this time. Well, I think that, um, it, um, I think that Pekka Spill made it, and, um, he was riding an Oklahoma cyclone, and the cyclone couldn't throw him off, so it turned into rain, and he slid down the rain and landed on the ground with a big bump, and, um, he made this whole Death Valley, and, I mean, the story, it says you can still see a little bit of his hip prints in it. That's it. <laughs> Very good, Frankie. You know, we Americans are noted for doing things in a hurry. So let's see if you know who is famous for these fast trips. First, who made a fast trip from Winchester to Cedar Creek. Sally Ann? Well, that would be Sheridan mm -hmm. uh, in his the poem. I, I think it's Sheridan 20 miles away, then he finally gets down to help the army. I think that's it. Very good. Song. <laughs> and who made a fast trip from Boston to Lexington? I think Lonnie's hand went up a little bit, a fraction ahead. Go ahead Lonnie. Well, that would be Paul Revere. Very good. Splendid. Here are some American authors who wrote about interesting specimens of animal life. Now, if you wanted to see Edgar Allan Poe's gold bug, where would you go to see it in its natural habitat? Sally Ann? Well, uh, you would go in South Carolina, and I think it's uh, a Sullivan Island in South Carolina. Very, very good. Now, how about if you wanted to see Mark Twain's celebrated jumping frog? Pat? Well, you'd have to go down uh, to Missouri to see that, I imagine. Well, can you uh, localize that a little bit more? It was, uh, well, let's see now, I think it was Missouri. There's one? I'm not sure about that. Thing. Well, let's see, let's try Sally Ann. Well, it, it's in uh, California, uh, Kavav. Well, that's, that's close enough, Calaveras. Calaveras. Very good. And now, how about Marjorie Rawlings' yearling? Joel? Well, I believe that was off the Florida Keys. Florida Keys, that's very good. Patriotic thoughts have inspired many great poems by American poets. I'm going to read excerpts from a couple of these poems, and you are to name the subject of the poem to which the lines were addressed. Oh, oh dear, oh, dear. Well, I guess we'll, we'll have to keep this one for another time. Hmm? I'm afraid so, Joan, because there's the bell, and we all know what that means. School is over for tonight. 
Joan, we've enjoyed having you with us in class tonight. Thanks for coming. Oh, thank you for inviting me, Mr. Capel. It was fun being with the quiz kids again. Quiz kids, the judges will be handing out your report cards in just a moment. But before they do, I want to let our listeners in on the wonderful new project you children have decided upon. Friends, you may recall little Sheila Shepard, who was in our classroom two weeks ago. Sheila was one of the 60,000 war orphans of Europe being cared for under the Foster Parents Plan. Well, our quiz kids certainly haven't forgotten Sheila, and they thought it would be nice if we could adopt a child under this plan. Everyone on the Quiz Kids show agreed, and so an application has already been filed, and we should have more news about it next week. Now, children, let's look at tonight's report cards. Remember, whether you win or lose, you each receive a United States savings bond for your future education. As a class, you missed no questions this evening. Sally Ann was first, Lonnie second, and Pat third. So we'll expect you three back in class next Sunday to compete with Mark Mullen, age 10, and Melvin Miles, age 8. We hope we can count all you listeners present in class next Sunday, too. Until then, this is Oliver Capel dismissing the quiz kids. Goodbye, kids. Goodbye, Goodbye Mr. Capel. Listen to the quiz kids coast to coast every Sunday evening. And also see and hear the Quiz Kids television program on NBC. Consult your local newspaper for time and station. This is Bill Grisky speaking.